We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Ace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks. At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper uh, here with Tim Heaney. We tried to make things work with Nick this week, and I, I don't know. I don't know where things actually stand uh, going forward. I know Nick is on his way to Green Bay for the Bears-Packers game. He talked about it earlier in the week, Tim. He was convinced he didn't have anything to wear to the game. I mean, it's like 45, 50 degrees here in uh, central Wisconsin, south-central Wisconsin more specifically. So it's going to be even cooler in Green Bay, come game time. I don't know if Nick's going to make it. I know he's got the, the jacket with the fur on it. He's been made fun of uh, for that jacket before. He's probably going to end up having to wear that if he doesn't go with the 
green hoodie with the mustard stains on it. But the bottom line is, Nick is not here today. You are here in his place, and the podcast has really nowhere to go but up. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have a jacket that could match that, you know, luxuriousness. But uh, I think I'll, I'll try to make things work as best as I can with with the t-shirt and shorts that I'm wearing right now. So, you know. yeah, well, it sounds like you're comfortable. <laughs> that's 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 the important thing. Um, mm-hmm. Let's start breaking down this slate, and we're going to start with the Thursday game, even though I don't want to talk about the Packers anymore. Uh, the Bears-Packers game, the Packers are favored by 7.5, which, you know, given the, the state of things on Sunday, it seems like a stretch, but the Bears are not a quality team, and the only question is, can the Packers' offense find its footing enough to get into the high 20s? The implied score in this game is like 27-19, favoring the Packers. Uh, Green Bay's secondary remains a mess. Sam Shields hit IR this week, but now the running game is also a mess. Eddie Lacy joining Shields on IR, Don Jackson stepping in from the practice squad, Niall Davis acquired earlier this week, maybe some Ty Montgomery at running back. I think I've seen tweets suggesting that each of those three players will be the lead back tonight. So really we have no idea what the Packers are going to do as far as their running game goes. But does it matter? Because the Bears, much like the Packers, are messed up in the secondary. They have had a ton of injuries. And if Aaron Rodgers can play like he did in the first half against the Lions a few weeks back, this could be a blow. But if he plays like he did on Sunday, it's going to be an ugly 17-13, kind of like the Bears-Jags game on Sunday. It's going to look a lot like that if Rodgers doesn't play well. I was just going to say, I think it's going to be an ugly, close game. You know, it's a divisional thing, so you always have to consider that and, you know, into take that into consideration there. And like you said, the the, the backfield with Green Bay – that's going to be a game flow situation. I, I think it really depends on how the first and second half really shake out there. Uh, you know, obviously Don Jackson, our promoter from the practice squad, has the most experience with the playbook for whatever that means. Uh, maybe Montgomery has a little bit more, obviously as a receiver. But you know, Niall Davis, do you throw him in there right away if they get desperate enough? And that's if they're not showing anything, maybe they just get a few basic plays for him and maybe get some control of that, that ground game and get, and get some more clock on their side. But I, I think I'm with you in this, in the sense that this, the implied score is a little too high, probably on both sides. I probably would take the bears line there with the points there. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, th- I think the Packers do still find a way to pull out this win because uh, the bears defense, like you said, is just, it's just much more vulnerable. Somehow the pick distribution for the Packers and this is again against the spread, ninety-seven percent, yeah, on the Yahoo Pick'em contest. That makes mm-hmm. no sense to me. Like I would, that's weird. I would, I would take the Bears getting the seven and a half, not because I think the Bears are good, but I think the Bears are good enough offensively to match most of what the Packers do. Even even if the Packers play well, I think Brian Hoyer with Elshon Jeffrey, with Cameron Meredith, with Zach Miller can throw on that secondary. And I think, Porsche, if, you know, I, I think. Porsche, the, the ugly game is definitely a possibility. Like that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. But twenty four twenty, I mean, like that's not a stretch. Twenty seven twenty three, that that wouldn't surprise me either. I mean, you could even argue the Bears do have the more complete offense right now with Jordan Howard back there. Hoyer's had three straight, four straight games of three hundred plus passing yards, no interceptions so far this year. Maybe they do play a little bit more ball control. Maybe the Packers do, you know, shadow the receivers a little bit more uh, to keep it close. But you know, Jordan Howard could be the X factor in this game if if he actually gets some motoring on on the Packers front, you know, the defensive front. We saw what Ezekiel Elliott did. Are the Bears? Uh, on the Cowboys level with the running game, no. But Howard has proven that he, you know, he can take a game in his hands this, at this early on in his career. 
quick correction too. I guess the straight up pick'em was the split that I gave you. After clicking through, I'm uh, seeing a 65-35 distribution favoring the Packers, giving up the seven and a half. I'll take the Bears getting those seven and a half points. I do think the Packers win this game, but I, I think you are dead on in that it's going to be maybe more like a field goal. It's going to be a close and perhaps very ugly game at Lambeau tonight. Uh, let's move on to the Giants and Rams. That game happening in London on Sunday. It'll be a very early kickoff, uh, especially on the West Coast. Not so bad on the East Coast, but still early nonetheless. Uh, implied score in this one right around 23-20, favoring the Giants. I mean, what do you think? Are, are the Giants fixed after what they did last week in Baltimore? Oh, well, hopefully it, w- it woke Ben McAdoo up to realize what his strengths are. And I think those strengths can apply again this week against the Rams. Obviously, they faced... Uh, you know, a, a little bit better secondary in the Ravens and the Rams secondary is just, you know, gashed with injuries and incompetence. You know, as we've seen, you know, a lot of teams just throw all over um, St. Uh, I was gonna say St. Louis, throw over all over Los Angeles. And I, I think that the pass rush is great for the Rams, but nothing else really is in that defense. So um, I think it's a case where the Giants do control the clock. And I think the Giants defensive line gets to case Keenum a, a bit better than. Than, than he was uh, challenged last week. So, yeah, I, I think the Giants do take control uh, here in this one as well. I, I would, you know, probably take that. Their, their, I would probably, you know, get, get the Giants side of the line right there. With the Rams, I mean, you mentioned the, the pass defense, 6.8 yards per attempt, certainly uh, not bad in that regard, but 11 passing scores allowed through six games, so closer to league average, if not a tick worse in terms of uh, allowing touchdowns, 90.7 opposing quarterback passer rating through six games for the Rams. So I think Eli and company can be productive in this one. I'm seeing a two and a half on the Yahoo Pick'em game, but either way, I think the Giants win this game by more than four. I think the line is actually wrong. And as bad as Ben McAdoo might be, I'm still not a buyer on Jeff Fisher. I mean, they just lost to Detroit in Detroit, no less, but uh, still like a team that has its flaws. They haven't been able to get Todd Gurley going. Not sure they're going to be able to do that this week any more so than previous weeks i mean i've been expecting uh the rebound for three four games now and we're just not seeing it the one thing i like is the rams play designs have become more creative i think that bodes well for Gurley's involvement in the passing game in particular oh yeah sure and obviously i think we talked about in this po- the podcast on friday before that you know Gurley does seem like if he doesn't break a huge run he's running into his own offensive line not finding the holes as, as quickly and as cleanly as we all hope he would but yeah Gurley needs to be involved just get the hit get the ball in his hands in space and that that's like the only way they're gonna have a shot i think in this one just because you know it, uh, shut down Gurley uh, and you know the, the giants had their secondary back last week they looked pretty good from their injuries dominic rogers Cromartie was a huge uh, return to that defense you know big for that uh, containment of the of the deep ball so Gurley get the ball in his hands in space maybe they have a shot but I think the Giants are smart enough to target that and their defensive line has a lot of talent on it that can that can put the pressure on and make them have to adjust I'm not really keen on on the Rams doing um you know getting getting the win there is Case Keenum though just a little better player than maybe we gave him credit for at the beginning of the year I think so yeah I I mean, you know, obviously growing into an offense again is is, is is adjustment period for players sometimes that don't have the great skill. I'm not saying Keenum's the worst of the worst, but, you know, I, I think last week was a bit of a, a little bit of a falsehood when it comes to his upside. Quick note on Odell Beckham. He was on the practice field on a limited basis today, so uh, all signs pointing to him being just fine after he suffered that hit pointer uh, amidst going off against the Ravens in week six. Saints on the road at Arrowhead taking on the Chiefs Chiefs six and a half point favorites over under 50 and a half that gives you an implied score of 
something around 29-22 favoring the Chiefs. If the Chiefs are putting 29 points up on the board, Tim, you have to think both Spencer Ware and Jamal Charles can be viable. Yeah, I mean, obviously attacking the Saints is, is most optimal on the ground. I'm not going to say they'll have a, a, a Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman type of showing, but it's very capable of that because of the similarity in the way the Chiefs do build from the run to the pass and the way the Falcons have been calling the run this year. Very similar in success for both teams, actually. I think the Chiefs should deserve a little bit more success. Jamal Charles obviously showed in the limited workload last week that he can you know, contribute, keep the ball moving. Uh, and Spencer Ware, obviously the number one back, anyone who says otherwise right now is not watching any of the Chiefs games. He's run with a lot of authority and he's hard to stop right now. And the Saints are going to have to find a lot of, uh, you know, um, gusto in that defense that really doesn't have any on the road uh, to, to slow that down. I think Alex Smith controls the pace of this game pretty accurately. Yeah, that, that, that's, a Chiefs, that's a Chiefs points for me. Seems like a big over under, though, for a Chiefs game. Like, I, I wonder if it might come up a bit short, you know, like 26 mm-hmm. 20 instead of 29 22. I'd, I'd right. be leaning more towards expecting less, but the Chiefs defense at times has been exploited. So maybe, maybe even though it's on the road, the Saints are going to find a way to move the ball against that Kansas City defense. Uh, Drew Brees home road splits. How much do you act on those in your season long leagues? I mean, do you really have to just weigh it against the alternatives? When you draft Brees, do you plan on having? better backup than you would have had two or three years ago if you owned Breeze? If it's a road game against a tough defense, I weighed a bit more. Uh, the Chiefs, you know, without Justin Houston, the Chiefs have been all right. They've gotten some good help on the defensive line with D4. He's been actually pretty good step in there. Uh, so maybe I, I think I'm, I might lean towards that with this one because, you know, the pass rush being a, a chief staple, it's going to be a bit bothersome for Breeze to do much with it. So, you know, I, I can see Breeze doing a 250 and 2. But we count on Breeze, obviously. You draft Breeze for a lot more than that. It's just going to be one of those times. I, I, I don't think that, you know, kind of like Matt Ryan, I don't think the narrative fully defines Breeze like that. But in, in a case like this where you do have the worrisome prospect of getting a lot of uh, pressure at the front from that defense, I say it applies a bit more. I'm trying to figure out what to do with Willie Sneed. I've got him in the Stopa Law Firm League, and I think he belongs in as like a flex option or a wide receiver three. Uh, he was kind of quiet in the matchup against the Panthers last week. Seven targets, four catches, 47 yards. Michael Thomas uh, had five catches for 78 and a score. Fleener had the rushing TD and the receiving TD. Uh, was a little more involved as well. Six catches on seven targets for 74 yards. So you, you look at that, and I think behind Brandon Cooks, things are still very fluid week to week. I don't know if there's a, a clear hierarchy. I think it's Cooks in the field where two of the three are capable of having good games, but you're probably not going to get a good game from Cooks and then Sneed, Thomas, and Fleener. It seems like there's a, a max of three viable pass catchers in this offense in any given week. I mean, that's obviously the way the Saints have been operating for a long time. It's just new new faces, new names to that that, that MO. Uh, I mean, I think obviously avoiding Marcus Peters is going to be the big deal for someone to you know, be the guy this week. I mean, I, I still I still stick with Cooks because he's going to move around a lot. They're going to use him in you know creative ways. I think Peters seems to be like he would go on Michael Thomas if it's a three-wide set you know, and have Sneed, I guess, in the slot. Uh, if you, you know, matching up on Gaines and Nelson for the Chiefs, that, that that's what you want for the Saints to, to really exploit that. And the secondary is obviously so good in the safety, and even the linebackers do have a really good coverage there. So you do kind of have to just, just see who's going to be one-on-one with those guys and try to guess that. Yeah, I think flex for Snead is a pretty pretty good way to value him. Yeah, I think so too. As far as the way you expect this game to go down, Chiefs favored by 6.5. Are they good enough to cover that number? I think what you said would be what I would say. Maybe like it would be like a twenty-six to twenty game or something like that. You might miss that, but yeah, 
I, I got to side with the home team in this one just because, um, you know, the Arrow had very, very good home field advantage. And they have a they have an offense now that can control the clock against a defense like New Orleans. They can keep Breeze off the field even a little bit more. I'll take the points, but I'm I'm a sucker. Like, I'm, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> don't don't ever take my picks and use them because they're they're not good. I think I'm nine below 500 for the season picking every game. So not horrible, but certainly not profitable by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, let's talk about the Colts and Titans. Titans, two-and-a-half-point favorites in this game. Kind of a surprising look, right? I mean, they're home, so that's a big part of it. But you're looking at maybe 25-23 Titans. DeMarco Murray, I think, is at the top of Jeff's value meter at running back for you know, top plays of the position. Going to cost you a lot uh, in DFS, and understandably so. Uh, but what's the expectation for you from, from Marcus Mariota? Because he's the type of player where if you drafted Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers early in your draft Mariota fell far enough where he may have been the backup that you took and he's been playing well these last two games it looks like another good spot for him this week and both Wilson and Rodgers have fallen short of expectations are you looking at Mariota as a viable play over quarterbacks that you never would have played him over just six weeks ago I I think you have to I mean the the, the two matchups that Mariota's had the three touchdowns with uh or maybe four, I guess, in week five. A little bit easy on, you know, for a quarterback to really do well. I mean, um, Miami and Cleveland. The passing yardage ha- hasn't really been there, but obviously he makes up for that on, on the ground. Uh, it's, it's a great ground game overall with Murray. Uh, Derek Henry's kind of taken a real backseat overall to, to Mariota, actually. Uh, you know, some of those design runs or those broken up plays. Mariota just kind of takes them on his own now. And I, I think you have to consider Mariota top 10 just because of the rushing uh, that he adds. Do, do you, you know, I wanted to play Mariota in a league where I also owned DeMarco Murray last week. I didn't do it. I could have won my league with if I did that, but that's not usually the best strategy in fantasy to, to combine the quarterback and running back most of the time. But, uh, yeah, Mariota's definitely the matchup play will, will accentuate what you want to expect from him, but definitely that you know low-end QB1 territory, maybe if you really want to be bold top you know 10 at that point. But, yeah, I think Mariota in this case is a good one because uh, the Colts do have limited resistance to the ground game. So I think very much like last week, maybe if you knock one touchdown off, that that uh, expectation is still a good floor for him. I mean, I look at the Colts as a team, much like the Titans, poorly coached but capable of scaring anybody with their offense. The weird thing about the Colts continues to be the lack of involvement of Philip Dorsett. Um He's banged up right now. Dwayne Allen's probably out with an ankle injury, so you're going to see a lot of Jack Doyle. I just think Luck, at this point, is still capable of of winning games against a team like the Titans on the road. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and and take the Colts with the points, in part because I don't trust Mike Malarkey any more than I trust Chuck Pagano. But... I mean, there's a certain point where personnel has to be considered on offense. I mean, if they, if they, the injuries are going to be knocking, uh, you know, Allen, Dwayne Allen, and, and, and Dorsett has even hurt himself. I'm not sure of the practice status, but I'm skeptical of how far they want to go down on, on that uh, on that chain of how effectively they would go down that chain of, of skill players if they don't have many left. I think the Titans' defense is is legit enough to really pressure Luck this week. That the right side of that offensive line for Indianapolis could be a real vulnerable spot for Luck and. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think that that's a game case where I would probably take Tennessee's side of it because, you know, luck against good pass rush, I, I'm not really that confident that he can withstand it. That's the one thing I, I, just, I forgot about, too, is I was thinking about using the Titans' defense when I first looked at the uh, the prices for, for DraftKings and for FanDuel. And with that, maybe I can't pick against the Titans. Like, if I think their defense is a good <laughs> matchup, then I can't get this low probability outcome that it's a really close, low-scoring game where the Titans' defense plays really well, but the Colts still find a way to uh, to 
keep it close enough. Yeah, that just doesn't quite add up. So with that, I think I have to flip to Tennessee, and I don't, I don't Ooh. like that. I don't like this game at all. It's not. It's a terrible game. It's but not, we have to. It, we have it, to pick it, every one, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we, so. we have to pick them all. This is this is a game that I this I'm only picking this game because I have to pick them all, and I'm flipping on it as I think about it, and that's not a good sign at all. If you're doing that, that's a good time to just walk away. Uh, let's take a look at the Vikings and Eagles. It's a revenge game for Sam Bradford. I, I say revenge game in, in a joking tone. If anyone can't hear it in my voice, like I'm, I'm not serious about it. I mean, it's it's a it's a homecoming though of sorts for Bradford. It's not like he spent his whole career in Philly prior to getting traded to Minnesota, and that trade's worked out fine for both teams in terms of Wentz getting the chance to start right away, Bradford playing well uh, for Minnesota, but with the Vikings coming off the bye. I think the Vikings can can roll. I think the Vikings can destroy the Eagles this week. Like, even though it's in Philly, two and a half doesn't seem like enough for a team no. of Minnesota's quality. No, I was so shocked it was that low. Um, the Vikings, you know, I don't think they're a perfect team. The running game still has to be kind of finding its footing, I guess. And but But this club is just so adaptive to each game plan. I mean, Bradford doesn't you know, really favor one guy with Stefan Diggs out. And then, you know, then he spreads the ball around really effectively. He's just, it's a great offense for Bradford in, you know, North Turner's system. It's great for his arm. It's great for his distribution. And obviously the Vikings defense probably, it might be the best defense in the league. I'm going to say that flat out. I mean, Carson Wentz faced really, really easy defenses early on in the year. Now he's kind of taken a step back with some tougher opponents. And this is almost as tough as opponent as he's had so far. So I, I, I would definitely take the Vikings in this one. I, I'm, you know, I, I, I would say the line, if I were making the line, I would put the line at like five. I mean, I'm very surprised at that. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's at Philly, so that's part of it. But over-under is a bit low enough. at 40 and a half. I mean, if the game's that low scoring, it's because the Eagles aren't scoring at all. Like, I, I, think, my, I, think, I think Minnesota can move the ball against the Eagles. The Eagles run defense actually isn't good. 4.8 yards per mm-hmm. carry. Uh, it's bottom five in the league, tied for second worst, the Colts and the Raiders. Right. They've held opposing runners out of the end zone. They've only allowed three rushing scores. They've already had their bye, so they've only played five games. But that, to me, doesn't mean that they're actually good mm-hmm. at stopping the run. So I think Jarek McKinnon can actually do some damage in this matchup. I like the volume he was getting prior to the bye week. You still have to worry about Matt Asiata coming in, taking away those short yardage opportunities uh, in close at the goal line. But this looks like a nice little window to go get McKinnon between now and Sunday via trade, plug him in, and actually get yeah. a pretty good game. But I am taking the Vikings, giving up a 2.5. I'm surprised, like you, that that line isn't quite a bit bigger. Uh, let's take a look at an AFC North matchup. Browns uh, heading south to Cincinnati. Bengals favored by 10. Over-under is 45. Implied would be like 27.5 to 17.5. I just round up to 28-18. Does sound about right? The Bengals just 10 points better than the Browns right now, especially if that game's being played in Cincy? I, I guess. Uh, it's definitely, it seems like a trap line because, you know, it's another divisional game, that sort of thing. The, you know, I, you can see a game where the Browns might do some things with Terrell Pryor that might cut that to like eight. <laughs> um, but it, obviously, straight up, you pick the Bengals here. I, I do want to think that there is, you know, a, a bit of a, a, a shakiness with that line because, you know, the Bengals have, have given up some explosive plays in recent weeks. And uh, I, but then again, you do also think that um, this may be just a game where they just steamroll. If, if Jeremy Hill and, and um, Giovanni Bernard both play. They can combine for 200 yards from scrimmage at least, and they just control the clock that way and not have you know any any chance for Cleveland to really answer any sustained drives. You know the Bengals do come up big against weak quarterbacks. I think this is a case where they can pull that off against Cody Kessler. I think I'm going to be all about Jeremy Hill 
in DFS this week against mm. the Browns. I mean, I think the Bengals have a lead throughout. I'm going to take the Bengals giving up the 10. Uh, Terrell Pryor missed practice again Thursday. We'll ah. see if he's able to do anything tomorrow. We're going to be on the Friday pod, of course. But without Pryor especially, the Browns offense would just have nothing as far as explosive playmakers. I mean, Andrew Hawkins can make a big play every now and then, but he's an undersized slot player. You're not really expecting him to do enough to swing a matchup. And moreover, this is a Cleveland team still relying on Cody Kessler. He's played better than I think anybody would have expected, but to go into Cincy against what should be a decent Bengals defense, uh, that's actually a pretty tall order for a rookie quarterback. Yeah, with no prior, obviously I'm I'm cementing my pick with the with the with the ten points if if that turns out to be true that he doesn't play. So yeah, I'm with you on that. We'll have to see what he's able to do though on Friday. Uh, Washington on the road in Detroit. Lions one and a half point favorites over under at fifty. I think it's the top three in terms of over under totals for this week. Uh, maybe like twenty six twenty four Lions if that line were to hold up. Do you think the Lions are actually a better team than Washington? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think there's a game where Kirk Cousins and Matt Jones, I think, are going to pretty much roll on on that one because you know, um, you know, the the Lions, their their passing defense has been <laughs> obviously as Case Keenum. We keep going back to Case Keenum as a staple for defenses, but uh, you know, I think he proved how much uh, a guy like Cousins, who you know, does without Jordan Reed, maybe the upside's capped, but. The Lions have given up at least uh, two passing touchdowns in every game this year, and uh, you know that Cousins is a guy that's capable enough to, to take advantage of that. I think you know Deshaun Jackson uh, or whoever's healthy can get that moving, and yeah, I, I think I think that's where I would I would go Washington in this one for sure. No Jordan Reed Thursday, no Deshaun Jackson either. Jackson sidelined by a sore shoulder. Uh, Reed still sidelined by a concussion. He's limited Wednesday, but nothing on Thursday, so. I don't know. I still feel like there's a pretty ah. big cloud over Jordan Reed. I mean, they've got a week right. nine buy. Is there any reason to believe he's actually going to play before week 10? No. I don't think so. And Vernon Davis had just enough last week to have them confident to rest Reed before that. Yeah, Vernon Davis might be a useful desperation stream off the wire if uh, Reed is forced to miss more time. We'll see if we get anything from Jordan Reed and the Redskins uh, on Friday. Are you buying into Golden Tate at all coming off that huge game last week against the Rams? Is he back to at least being a relevant part of the game plan week in and week out? Or do you think that was the function of Theo Riddick not being out there? Uh, Yeah, I think Riddick not being out there definitely contributed to it but it's nice that they actually have Tate in mind now I mean they it was kind of like the offense was just kind of like all Marvin Jones and a couple of stragglers here and there for a while and obviously Riddick had his huge games um I think Tate still has flex expectations or flex expectations as I like to corny you know make the corny pun with that to say flex expectations um, flex expectations yeah weekly so uh i think tate's definitely a weekly lineup consideration uh this matchup is actually not bad for him because i think that you know the the secondary for washington you know as good as josh norman can be at times breland i've seen him and, and norman kind of you know not be in the right place at sometimes and they find seams in, in the zone defense or whatever so yeah i i think tate can have a decent game again i don't know if he'd be that good obviously but i, I still think it's a washington game that they win and i, I think i gotta go with them in this one I think the other wrinkle here is Washington is much worse against the run than they are against the pass. They're kind of average against the pass based on YPA. They're atrocious against the run. The Lions have been burning through running backs like crazy. Maybe Dwayne Washington uh, comes back this week, but I'm not sure there's enough there with Zenner if he's the lead back or Justin Forsett for the Lions to actually exploit that. So I would take Washington with the point and a half if you're getting it. I've seen even as a line, though, on that one, too. And I think even straight up, I would just take Washington over the Lions at this point because I think 
they are at least as good, if not better, in every facet of the game that matters to me. So that that's where I stand. Maybe maybe Kirk Cousins on the road is fool's gold. I don't usually trust Kirk Cousins, but this seems like a great week uh, for Matt Jones, too, and he's a player mm-hmm. I typically stay away from. Well, I mean, it established Jones as the top back regardless of even how they split things. I don't know if he's going to be you know, continuing what he did last week, but Detroit's, Detroit's uh, run defense was mostly about res- – Letting up, not letting up touchdowns. They've been letting up yardage pretty decently in most games this year. So, you know, match feed Matt Jones 15, 20 times, you'll probably get 80, 90 yards. And, you know, that, that's a pretty good uh, fantasy day for him, I'd say. I think he breaks that seal, too. Finally gets a running back TD against the Lions defense. Case Keenum mm-hmm. scored the first rushing touchdown of the season against Detroit last week. And Todd Gurley owners, understandably, uh, were not happy about that. Raiders, Jags. Jags favored by one. I'm not sure I understand that. Like, I don't think Jacksonville is a very good team. Uh, the implied score would be 24.5 to 23.5, so you could say 25-24, you know, 24-23. I know Oakland has to go on the road to the East Coast. That can be tough, but to me, Oakland's just better than Jacksonville, and I want Oakland with the point. You know, another back-and-forth, you know, like the Titans Colts game, I think I'm with you on that. You know, sometimes the, the, the West Coast uh, trip can be a little overrated if the uh, – if the offensive line and defensive line disparity is a little bit big, I think the Oakland finally gets a little bit of a pass rush going this week with Khalil Mack and Bruce Irvin. I think Bortles, obviously, we've seen prone to mistakes if he's under pressure. I love the possibility of getting an Allen Robinson in DFS this week for the possibility that he does get a couple touchdowns. But I think in the grand scheme, you do have to trust you know that Oakland's uh, defensive personnel is a little bit better than Jacksonville's here. Um, so, I, yeah, I think I'm with you on that one. I, I think the Raiders are just coached well enough. I hate to say that but you know uh, what's the word blackjack del rio being his nickname now uh, yeah i think oakland is my pick there as well it's gonna be close like i, I think the fact that the line is tight is fine like no no problem mm-hmm. there but i just think oakland uh, is better so as long as Derek carr can avoid big mistakes i think the raiders are gonna be just fine in this matchup need a website why not do it yourself with wix.com no matter what business you're in wix.com has something for you Used by more than 84 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business, and it all starts with a stunning website. With hundreds of designer-made customizable templates to choose from and the drag-and-drop editor, there's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or a designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget, busy scheduling appointments, too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. The result is stunning. All right, let's move on to the Bills and Dolphins matchup. Dolphins three-point home underdogs in this one over under. Sitting at 44, gives you Bills 23, Dolphins 20, something in that range at least. Are the Bills legit? I mean, ever since firing Greg Roman, this team has been really firing on all cylinders. I'd be a lot more comfortable if I knew LaShawn McCoy was going to play. Uh, that that that's the big deal for me. Obviously, one of the better fantasy running backs in this year. Obviously, the hamstring injury is a little iffy. I, I don't think he practiced today, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, uh, I think that 
it, it's going to be a case where I think the, the Bills will get to Ryan Tannehill a bit more because, I, yeah, I think the defense has taken some big strides in the last couple of weeks, which is surprising to me, obviously, with, with those that Rob Ryan units. You know, we, we know we talk about how vulnerable they are. And then they have, you know, been pretty good so far. And that, that, that offensive line of Miami is pretty bad. I think JHIE takes a little bit of a step back, too. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's Buffalo. Uh, obviously, divisional game close with a, th- you know, with a plus three line there. But, yeah, I think Buffalo is the more balanced team right now. Miami's giving up four and a half yards per carry uh, on the ground right now, so not a, a great defense either. So I think Gillisley can run effectively if McCoy is forced to miss this game. Buffalo, meanwhile, giving up 3.8 yards per carry, so uh, a top 10 run defense roughly when you look at the per carry numbers. Uh, Tyrod Taylor has looked good. The offensive line looks good. Buffalo does seem to be a more complete team than Miami as currently built. And then I get this weird feeling like the Bills can't go five and two like that. That can't happen, right? I mean, that's just it, it's the, it's the order of the world. Like, there's no there's no science behind this particular angle, but it just doesn't seem right that the Bills are going to be a five and two team after seven weeks. Well, you figure you know you can't judge a team really you know on the whole until the season ends. And maybe it, they've had a couple of favorable matchups the last three weeks with LA, San Fran and Miami. It's just the timing of them being five and two kind of, co- you know, goes with the schedule and obviously beating new England without Tom Brady. Luckily they faced him once uh, without Brady that helped them as well. So I, you know, it, they could end up being an eight and eight team still, you know, they, they face a little bit tougher competition on the stretch maybe, but no, actually they really don't. I'm looking at the schedule. It's, Maybe they'll have Big Ben back in Week 14 to face them, and they have Seattle. Well, they, they have they have a sorry, they have New England and Seattle after this week. Maybe that'll even things out a little bit before the bye. Yeah, that might be where the regression back toward the mean happens. But Buffalo, they're playing well. They look pretty solid. I'm going to take the Bills. I'm going to give up the three points for now. Maybe a game I flip on, kind of like the the Tennessee Indy game, where I don't feel real strongly about it. I think it's going to be a nice close game between those two sides. Uh, Jets, Ravens, even line right now. Forty and a half is your over under, so a tie, a twenty and a half to twenty and a half tie, or twenty and a quarter to twenty and a quarter tie between the Jets and Ravens forecasted. Who do you like better, Geno Smith taking over at quarterback for the Jets? Is it going to make a difference? I mean, if if Joe Flacco plays, I think you have to go with Baltimore here. Uh, you know, Geno Smith working with. Brandon Marshall and Matt Forte and who else? <laughs> I mean, bad. It's it's not it's not a great situation to to try to bet on. I wouldn't say an upset, but just going against the probabilities here. If if Joe Flacco doesn't play, Ryan Mallett steps in. Maybe that Jets defensive line makes things close. Um, obviously, not doesn't matter because it's really just a straight pick 'em. So. Uh, no, I, I had to go with Baltimore against that that pass defense. I, I think either way, Mike Wallace or Brashad Perriman or someone could break off a big play, even if Ryan Mallett's quarterback. So it, I'd definitely take the under <laughs> either way, I think. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one of those cases where I do, I do think that, that, that Baltimore is going to go with this one. A game that has, I think, a pretty low watchability score when, mm-hmm. when it's all said and done, <laughs> uh, even if it's Flacco uh, on the field for the Ravens this week. Uh, Matt Forte hasn't looked good the last few games. Hasn't really looked good since the first two weeks. Heavy volume those games. Three TD game against Buffalo uh, in week two. and It's been nothing but disappointment since. Brandon Marshall, uh, without his buddy Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback, I mean, could take a step back, but he's already down in terms of efficiency. 7.2 yards per target, getting 10 targets per game. Uh, got a reduced role against Arizona on Monday night. Only six targets in that matchup after getting at least 10 in the previous three games, do you see him being 
down in value going forward? Is, is Brandon Marshall a, a wide receiver two that you had to pay a wide receiver one price to get on draft day? Or do you think he can actually get back and return something close to what people expected when they paid up either a late first round or very early second round pick to get him back in August, early September? Well, I, I think that people did kind of overestimate the Ryan Fitzpatrick aspect of things. You know, the fact that Fitzpatrick was a little bit more way too efficient with his touchdowns and his, his other statistics kind of, uh, you know, deemed him to be didn't even reach 4000 yards. And then he got all those touchdowns. It's kind of like, you know, something has to give. I think that really has hurt Marshall this year. And going down to Geno Smith, you know, Smith's probably only going to have eyes for him uh, just just because, you know, Marshall can succeed succeed with mediocre to bad quarterbacks we've seen before but i think i'm with you i think high wide receiver two maybe is a realistic ceiling i don't think it's a really get much more than that with geno smith back to learning on the job a little bit again so yeah wide receiver two for marshall for me uh maybe if he faces another bad secondary but the jets have one of the worst secondaries in the league so it's gonna be hard for to count on him in most of those matchups like that i think the other angle of this matchup both teams are are good against the run allowing 3.4 yards per carry uh, so it doesn't seem like a great spot for Forte. It could be tough sledding for Terrence West. It all does come down to quarterback play. And I feel better about Flacco than about Geno Smith. So I'll take the Ravens on the road at this point. But if Flacco somehow isn't playing, in that case, I, I would go to the Jets side because I don't really believe in Ryan Mallett at all. Uh, Bucks on the road in San Francisco, and they're two-point favorites against the Niners coming off the bye. Uh, Over-under is 46, so we're looking at like a 24-22 game. For Tampa Bay, I imagine we're going to see a lot of cash game lineups this week that feature Mike Evans. Some might feature him with Jameis Winston as a small stack. Do you think San Francisco can make some steps forward, take some steps forward from where they were in Kaepernick's first start last week against the Bills? Well, I think the defense is definitely going to be a lot easier this time around. I, you know, some people might even do the Kaepernick uh, to Torrey Smith stack if they want to really go against the grain here. Obviously, the running game is is in flux right now. With Carlos Hyde banged up and you know likely to miss, I guess. And you know, maybe you, you argue that maybe Brent Grimes is the guy that probably will follow um, Torrey Smith, but does that really matter so much? Uh, I, I think Kaepernick does get a little bit more on the ground because that that Tampa Bay front is pretty awful, and I think they'll allow the, some holes to open up, I guess, if some broken plays, which I'm sure San Francisco will have plenty of broken plays <laughs> given how this offense has worked out so far. So, yeah, I think Kaepernick does take a step forward. Uh, does it mean a win? I don't think so. I think it's more of a Jameis Winston show for that. Season. I, I, I'm going with Tampa Bay in this one, actually. So um, just because the skill players they have are better. And, you know, I think the defense could muster just enough here. I, I, I probably would, you know, bet on being a high-scoring game. I think I would probably take the over in this one if I had to. Yeah, I think it will be, too, because Tampa's defense isn't good. 8.6 yards per attempt allowed to opposing passers this season. Puts them in the bottom five as far as pass defense efficiency goes. San Francisco can't stop the run. Uh, it, just defensive weakness is really it for both teams to the point where I think they can move the ball against each other with uh, relative ease. But I am taking the Bucks, giving up the two on the road at San Francisco. They, Tampa's a team that's disappointed me all season. They're due and San Francisco is the kind of matchup that you you need to sort of get well. Uh, Doug Martin, though, everybody was trading for Doug Martin uh, two weeks ago, it seemed like, based on the tweets I was getting. And the reason for that was that we kind of thought, well, okay, after the bye week in week six, you know, Doug Martin should be fine in, in week seven. Uh, he suffered a setback with his hamstring injury last week, and there's no timetable for his return. So it's probably going to be a lot of Jacquez Rogers again, uh, along with Peyton Barber and, and maybe some Antoine Smith. Yeah, I mean, Rodgers touched the ball 35 times in Week 5. Uh, 
surprise a lot of people. Um, me, maybe less so just because you got to remember that he was with Dirk Cutter in Atlanta when they were running things. Obviously, doesn't mean it, you know it's going to be curing everything, but there's a familiarity aspect of that offense, and they're going to push for a guy that they're familiar with. Rogers, you know, very tiny, but he can somewhat move in limited space. So, uh, you know, maybe the the fact that he averaged three point four yards when he got thirty carries last week doesn't do much justice for him. But obviously, like you said, against uh, San Francisco, I think Rogers can find a lot more room to run. I I dare say he'll be a high running back too in fantasy this week. Maybe a low low end one, uh, you know, just because the volume is probably going to be there possible and the Niners have been very generous to opposing backs allowing five yards per carry this season and nine rushing scores through six games everybody runs on San Francisco and I feel like Quiz won't be as heavily owned as a running back going up against the league's run worst run defense typically would be oh sure just because well, I mean, although, I don't know, savvy DFS guys might, I, I haven't even checked the prices on him yet, but I'm sure it's pretty low uh, considering the Martin news happened after the fact. So, yeah, I, I think it's a really good chance for profit there, but I think everyone's going to do it in DFS. So do you want to weigh, I mean, obviously cash game, it's probably a good play, but GPP, do you want to really go with the crowd on that one? Maybe maybe just to keep pace, you might have to. In GPPs, I might stay away, but in cash, he might just be a necessary I mean, player, because at that price for that workload, I think the price is going to be pretty low. Jacquez Rogers should return a significant amount on what you invest. Uh, Chargers Falcons, highest over under the week, 53.5. Falcons favored by 6.5. Probably not a big surprise since they are at home in this one. Gives you like a 30 to 24 Falcons uh, win. Seems like a great week for Devontae Freeman to bounce back. Had a tough matchup last week against Seattle. Tevin Coleman, if you're dealing with a, a bye week or injury situation, could be good too. It's just a matter of having to trust a player who's not getting heavy workloads every week. He doesn't necessarily need a lot of touches to be valuable, but I think some people are overestimating just how good he can be in that limited role week in and week out. Oh, absolutely. And we've seen the, the Falcons deploy them against, you know, even tough defenses by matching them up with linebackers. They, they're they very versatile in the way they're being called for. So I think I, I'm, pl- I'm in a league, one of my dynasty leagues, it's a really deep flex league. I, I start uh, Freeman and Coleman most weeks just to kind of lock up that Atlanta backfield because that really matters in a league like that to kind of just, you know, handcuff it in the lineup, which is kind of crazy. But, you know, the Chargers have, you know, not done well against running backs. They, they, they actually have limited their yardage but they've allowed a lot of touchdowns to them so the red zone defense obviously an issue there uh so yeah i definitely would try to play both these guys maybe not both these guys if you have if you own both of them but definitely if you have one of them i think you have to throw them in at least as a flex play yeah, this is the game that i think people are going to be most aggressive towards rivers ryan uh the running backs with gordon and freeman for sure uh travis benjamin might be an interesting gpp play it's been fumbling a lot but he has big playability, and if this game plays out like a track meet, it's hard to imagine a scenario in which he doesn't have a big role. No, of course. Um, you know, you worry about who's going to match up with Desmond Trufant. That's like the main category there, I think. You know, but I don't think he follows. He's, I don't think he's going to follow any of these San Diego receivers. I think he'll just be a side assignment at this point. But, um, you know, Tyrell Williams is the guy that can go across the middle pretty effectively. Um, that's a guy that I want matching up on, on those linebackers as well. Um yeah, it's a case where it's you know picking one of the Chargers receivers might work out for you in a GPP. It's just about picking the right one. Benjamin on the field the most, but I think Williams is the most talented of those three. So let's talk about Hunter Henry for a moment. I mean, he's doing some things at tight end that few rookies have done in the past. Like only only Mike Ditka has had a better pace in terms of catches, yardage, TDs as a rookie tight end. 
uh, as compared to what Hunter Henry's been doing, 11.9 yards per target. Six of his 19 catches have gone for 20 or more yards. Uh, Antonio Gates gradually getting healthy. He wasn't on the injury report on Wednesday, but he's 36, and is he just at that point in his career where he's more of a mentor, more of a, a number two tight end on his own team, and is Hunter Henry a viable weekly play now at tight end, even though Gates is back in the fold? No, I, I think you have to at least own Henry and consider him a low-end first tight end each week. Uh, you know, just the, the fact that Gates is healthy, sure, that, that, that strengthens the team. But, you know, Gates really doesn't do much with his catches anymore anyway most of the time. If it's not a random red zone touchdown, what's he really doing? It's, you know, he's not getting much out of his targets. Henry's obviously a more explosive player. I think Henry hurts the receivers more than, than you know, anything else. I, th- I don't think... You know, Gates is anyone that's going to really chip into Henry's workload because Henry's already proven that he has a connection with Rivers in, out of the gate of his career. So, yeah, you worry about the two tight end sets not being there as much, and maybe Henry steps off on some, certain formations. But no, I think I think the way the tight end being so volatile, I think you have to go with Henry uh, most times when you can, and this is a perfect matchup for it because the Falcons, I, uh, I believe, are pretty pretty weak against tight ends, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, I, I don't see any reason to to really sour on Henry right now. Like a dummy, I'm taking San Diego with the points. Six and a half. I think they can keep it close enough to where Atlanta can still win, but Chargers can maybe make the last possession uh, decide who actually wins this game. I think it could be that tight because San Diego has had some really heartbreaking close losses. They had the win, of course, on Thursday last week against the Broncos. Perhaps they've got some momentum going. I like this. Is, this is a late afternoon kickoff, even though the game's being played in Atlanta. I think that bodes well for the Chargers. Uh, as a visiting mm-hmm. club as well. Yeah, I'm with you. Chargers as well. I think that's too high for how bad the Falcons defense generally is. And the Chargers have lost a lot of guys, but they've obviously proven with Phillip Rivers that they can adjust when they need to. And the Falcons are, you know, it, it's not going to be that that big a victory if they do win. So I, I think the Falcons win it straight out, but the Chargers with the, with the points for me for sure. Patriots on the road taking on Landry Jones and the Steelers. And the Patriots are <laughs> seven and a half point favorites going into Heinz Field. 45.5 is your over-under. It would be 26-19 Patriots, something in that neighborhood. I mean, is, is the Steelers' offense with Landry Jones at the helm capable of keeping it closer than that? Because I have my doubts. I, I just think he's a player that he can be a game manager at best, and if the Patriots can find a way to contain Le'Veon Bell, then they can roll in this matchup. Yeah, I, I do think the the... the... The burden of proof shifts to Le'Veon Bell now, obviously, with, with Antonio Brown being somewhat limited. His record with Landry Jones last year was not good statistically. I think he was like the 60th fantasy running back or something for the duration of when Jones was starting. I read that on a, a, couple, a couple of tweets, actually. And yeah, and obviously the Patriots know how to game plan so well for stuff like that. And, you know, limiting Bell is going to be huge for them. And I think I think, I mean, I think Bell will get his fantasy due, but I think overall it's, you know, they'll let him do, do that to a certain degree. Brown's not going to have the dangerousness that he has unless it's a really broken play, and the Patriots aren't really one to make that many broken plays on defense, and their cornerbacks are going to shadow him pretty effectively, I think. So, yeah, I, I think that i, I got to go with New England in that one just, just for the t- tactical nature of what this game advantage gives them. I keep wondering if, if Julian Edelman's going to finally show up and find the end zone. Maybe this is the matchup. Pittsburgh's defense, to me, is nothing special. I, mean, I, I don't, mm-hmm. don't fear using Patriots really against anybody, but I wonder, is Edelman set to have that breakout week because it seems like it's long overdue? And I've been trying to figure out the best way to grade him, Tim. I mean, he he had to play four games with Garoppolo, Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. And and with that, can you really look at him and say he's in a six-game slump? Or do you look at him as a guy that just hasn't done much in the first two games that Brady has played? And is that as far back as 
you know, actually matters with respect to Edelman's current fantasy value. Well, I do want to say Martellus Bennett's having a big impact on that because, you know, obviously they finally have a second tight end, you know, that we can actually talk about now um, for various reasons uh, to, to balance with Gronk and, you know, work the middle of that field so well that Josh McDaniels loves to do with that formation. I think that's hurt Edelman a lot. And, you know, obviously Edelman's been playing through a couple of dings here and there. I'd actually buy low on Edelman because I think that, that, that his value, I think, is going to get much worse than this uh, throughout the year. And, you know, he's one of those tricky players that can carry you in PPR leagues a lot of the time. So, you know, I, could, I would definitely look to see if his owner needs anything right now and, you know, see see what you, you might be able to get for him. Uh, you know, obviously Chris Hogan and, and all those guys, they're, they're going to, you know, trade off production among the whiteouts. But Edelman obviously is the most experienced, the best of those guys. And I, I would definitely look to, to get some upside with him for the rest of the year. I was pretty sad when Hogan only had one target last week. I mean, I've I've been mm. trying to push the Chris Hogan bandwagon for the last few weeks with Brady you know, coming back, and so far, eh, it's been a disappointment. But if one of the receivers goes down, maybe that's the path for Chris Hogan yeah. to become more prominent for us as fantasy players. I'm also taking the Patriots, though, giving up the 7.5. I just don't see the Steelers being that good uh, without Big Ben. Seattle on the road at Arizona. Nice Sunday night matchup. Uh, Cardinals favored by 1.5 over under 43 Roughly Cardinals 23, Seahawks 21. Uh, Russell Wilson has been a disappointment this year. He's he's not getting you the passing TDs you would have expected. I mean, think about how much they were carving up opposing secondaries in the second half of last season. And on top of that, he's had the knee injury, had to get an ankle injury before that. Hasn't been running the way we expect him to. And without those rushing yards as a as a floor, the lack of passing TDs in particular has really driven down Russell Wilson's output to this point. I'm really scared of, of the, the way that how the Seahawks think they'll match up with those tackle play that's just been so awful against you know Chandler Jones, Calais Campbell. That that defensive front should scare the crap out of them, to be honest with you. And Wilson being so stationary, not being able to move out of the pocket that that's a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. Uh, they're not going to get many deep passes for sure. I don't I don't think off off this off this defense. Uh, Definitely uh, Arizona controlling the pace, I think, both sides of the, of the field in, in this case. I think Seattle's been fortunate to play some really bad teams and make Wilson look good these past couple of weeks. And, uh, yeah, Arizona, I think this is the week they really come back with authority. You know, the, the Jets win whatever, but this is the game that really reestablishes what the Cardinals can do. Yeah, it would pull the, the Seahawks a little bit closer in the standings, too, if the Cardinals can come out uh, with a win. I think Seattle got lucky to get away with the uh, pass interference at the end of that game against the Falcons. That drive at least would have kept going, and who knows what happens if uh, you keep giving Matt Ryan and Julio Jones opportunities because it seems like the Falcons can move the ball uh, against anybody. I'm going to go ahead and take the cards, giving up the one and a half. I think they are a slightly better team with them being at home, but this is one where these two teams are pretty much even in my eyes, and I'll take whoever's at home as long as the line is less than three, nine times out of ten. Yeah, sure. And um, I think Palmer showed a little bit more, you know, of his old self last week. And 1.5, that, that's that's a little low for me. I, I, don't, I don't think it's a pick. I just, I just think that the Cardinals are going to really just, just control the clock. And David Johnson's just going to do his thing. I, I'm not worried about the Steelers defense against him. Uh, he's the one of the few running backs that could probably is matchup proof right now. So. You know, I'm not moving away from that. Probably get a nice low number on David Johnson if you're using him in DFS mm-hmm. as far as the, the ownership yep. rates go. I think a lot of people stay away from the Seattle defense, so maybe a nice contrarian option uh, as we start looking ahead to our daily lineups. The Monday night matchup is a Kubiak Bowl, Texans-Broncos uh, in Denver. Broncos favored by 7.5, over-under of just 40.5. 
That would give you Broncos 24, Texans 17, something in that neighborhood. Is Denver a touchdown and change better than Houston when they're at home? I'd like to think so. Uh, because they obviously JJ Watt not being in Houston, I think should help most guys, uh, you know, do something better at, at um, you know, at, at least game management. I think to just be more secure with the ball. Houston's defense has not actually been surprisingly decent, uh, and, and you know, Trevor Simeon, we're having an identity crisis of what he can actually offer. You know, one week he throws four touchdowns, one week he really falls short against the San Diego defense that he probably should have carved up. Uh, I, I, I'm, I don't know if that's the, I don't know if it's seven point five better. That's what I'm. That's what I'm still weighing in my head as we talk about it. I don't trust Brock Osweiler though. Even though he, he led the comeback against the Colts, I mean Denver at home much more difficult than the Colts were uh, as uh, road opponents for uh, Houston last week. Uh, that game being played in Houston. So with Osweiler, think of it this way: like no one knows Osweiler as well as the Broncos, and mm-hmm. they should be able to get constant pressure on him. Secondary can ball hawk a bit. I think this is a, a nice spot for Denver to bounce back. I mean, they had a long time to prepare for this game, having played on Thursday uh, last week and then getting the extra day with this being a Monday night game this week. So I think Denver can uh, win this one. I'm thinking more like 24-13. You know, I don't, I don't think Denver's offense is going to blow up for anything more than that. Mm-hmm. If, if they score more than 24 points, it's because they scored on special teams uh, or they scored with their defense. But the other wrinkle here is the Denver running game. And they've suggested that C.J. Anderson might yield some more touches to Devontae Booker. Do you see a 50-50 split this week? Do you see a hot hand situation there? Do you see Booker emerging to be the starter perhaps a bit sooner than we expected? Because I coming out of week one, I really liked C.J. Anderson. I, I felt bad for not having a lot of shares. I had Booker a few places at the beginning of the season. Now I've still got Booker stashed away, and I'm kind of wondering if he's actually playable here in Week 7. Uh, I think you have to consider it. I mean, we did talk about last week that you know some of C.J. Anderson's uh, big plays that he had uh, previous game were called back. Uh, but, you know, is he that good enough where he wasn't helped by the holdings that, that kind of you know reset the play or whatever? I think Booker is a better fit in this offense, to be honest with you, than C.J. Anderson. And, you know, the fact that the Denver's actually starting to recognize that, I, I think it's going to be a, a coin flip. And I think I'd rather have Booker, to be honest with you. Uh, I would definitely wouldn't expect high-end RB2 numbers from Anderson anymore unless – it really, really, you know, off off the cuff, random hot hand situation where you just they just find a match to play with him and keep him in there. But Booker, all things equal, is the guy I would target here, and I think Booker uh, is, is would be my DFS play for sure. I might be uh, forced. I might be forced to play Booker and Stopa, which is not ideal. Ooh. But uh, it's <laughs> Houston could be a nice soft landing spot. Uh, one scoring correction I want to pass along before we sign off today. I was looking at the Stopa Law Firm League this morning, and there was a scoring correction put through yesterday. LaShawn McCoy lost a reception. It's a half-point PPR league. I won by a little bit uh, less than a half point, and it swung the matchup to my opponent. So I ended up falling to 4-2 and two as a result of a stat correction when I was 5-1, and one, first place, leading the league in points, flying high two days ago, Tim. And I see that scoring correction, and it just took the wind right out of my sails. That's ah, deflating. I mean, you, you want things to, you want everybody to get it right, but obviously when it goes against you, you're like, eh, couldn't we have just like moved on after Tuesday? You know, just 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 keep keep moving forward. Why look at the past at this point? Well, the thing about it that doesn't make any sense is do league championships like what's the what's the statute of limitations on scoring changes 
in championship week. I mean, it's, well, it, it, this, this could matter. This could matter in a big way. I, mm-hmm. I could fall short of the playoffs by a game. If I hit a losing streak, I could be seated differently and catch a bad team. I could be seated differently and catch a good team. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like it could, it could work in my favor eventually, right? The way the matchups all play out, maybe I missed the buzzsaw in the wrong week and it, it's a good thing in the long run. It could just as easily be a bad thing. Bottom line is if this were the championship, if this were week 16 and I'd won the title by a half point, is Tuesday the day that it's all final? Is Wednesday the day? Like, when do you really decide? I, I think you have to wait as long as possible for postseason, uh, obviously. Uh, you have to make sure everything's correct and wait. What, it usually comes in, what, Wednesday-ish? And before Thursday morning, maybe? Yeah, Does Wednesday, Wednesday yeah. I think, is the last. Maybe the, it is a 48-hour window from... Nah, it's got to be even less. It's got to be even bigger than it's that. less. Yeah. Hmm. Well... I, I mean, th- with Thursday night football, you got to figure. All right, you set the things Wednesday night, maybe. You know, you set the matchups Wednesday night if it's playoffs. So you, hopefully, you have a, a, for, a format where you can actually adjust matchups on the fly like that. Uh, first of all, that's that's an important thing. I mean, this is why I want head to head abolished uh, in general, anyway, from fantasy football. But it stinks. <laughs> I mean, it, it's because the guy I played is Kevin Payne. Like we. We had the first and second highest point totals in the league. So if we played anybody else, we just win. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. even matter. So if you do all play, to me, all play eliminates the head-to-head headaches. You know, you, you, every week matters. You play against every team in the league every week, and if it's a twelve-team league and you have the highest score, uh, you're eleven and zero because you beat each of the other eleven teams head-to-head that week. And it, it's a little bit like a total points thing, but it's, it's different enough where if your team starts to get better later in the year, you could make up ground a bit more easily than you can in total points. I'm, I'm all for all play slash total points uh, doing that. I mean, I, I do, I do see the wrinkle with the all play. It does actually, it, it does, it would probably satiate the head to head fanatics that would not want to change so quickly. So I appreciate that aspect of it. And yeah, I, I'm with you, man. It's just head to head should be like a tiebreaker if anything. Um, the point of fantasy football is to get points. It's not to beat your buddies. And, you know, the trash talk aspect is kind of the thing that's still keeping it relevant. Oh, oh you know, I beat you this week. And you try to mirror it to real football and have it be something like that. It's not real football. It's fantasy football. It's all about points. DFS, most points. It's not about, you know, that unless you're maybe playing in a league. But, no, get, get, rid, of total, get rid of head-to-head standings and just make it the highest scoring teams move on and maybe you can knock it off after like the playoffs. You maybe have the top four teams and then kind of see what happens after that. Maybe that's a fair way to do it, but uh, something needs to be changed. There needs to be some things that actually improve the game instead of just, you know, have people with bad luck losses and bad luck missing the playoffs while they're the second highest scoring team in the league. Yeah. Very, very frustrating, but keep an eye on that. If uh, you play on Yahoo, at least I know that's the site where the scoring change happened for Shady McCoy. If you had a very close game that you've lost or won, and he was involved, it may have flipped since you last looked carefully uh, at your record. I was a little surprised to see that. I mean, I knew it was a possibility. When the game ended, I'm like, all right, so I'm still a stat correction away from, from losing this for, for all intents and purposes, and it, yeah, it, it's exactly what happened. And I'm, I'm tilting, and I, I'm not happy about it. I won't be happy about it. I'm going to complain about it for a long time. Hopefully at the end of the year, it won't matter at all. Hopefully I'll win the league and I can laugh at the end. But right now, I'm ticked off. You have a right to be. I would be too. All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up for today's episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Tim and I are back with you tomorrow with our Friday thoughts as we approach week seven. Enjoy Thursday night football.
Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.